want you to think back for a moment to when you were a kid. Can you do that? Some of you got to think a long ways back. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I know, I know. Think back to when you were a kid and see if you remember something like this. Any takers? Oh yeah. It was a prank, and I wasn't really a bad kid, but it was a prank. It was a prank that I got involved with with a kid in the neighborhood that I should not have gotten involved with. We've been there, huh? A good kid, just a little off sometimes, and uh, the particular moment that I remember was a road that main road that came into our our neighborhood and it was wooded around on the sides and it the ground sloped away so that you could crawl up the embankment and see who was coming down the road and they couldn't see you it was a great place to place something in the road yeah well i won't tell you the rest of the story but let's just say it was a prank that startled the oncoming driver and you better have a lookout because if you just happen to get somebody that had a little oomph in them and they saw this and they slammed the brakes on and decided they were done with these kind of pranks you needed an advance warning and you take off running this particular day the lookout was not me i was the one laying on the hill placing the item out on the street and I was expecting to hear, if somebody was coming, the warning that I sounded off earlier to you. The warning didn't come. And at least not from the lookout. The warning came from the screeching tires. I'm not a fast runner, except that day. <laughs> Warnings, in that instance, would have been helpful warnings in any instant like it are much appreciated aren't they now i don't mean to justify what we were doing the fact is there are a lot of situations that we find ourselves in where we need a warning we need someone to say trouble is coming don't do that anymore someone is coming you need to be aware of get prepared and so on there are a variety of warnings that we need and reasons for them, but they're important regardless. And we need to heed them. We need to pay attention to these warnings because they're meant for our good. A long, long time ago, a warning was sounded off to a people who very desperately needed to hear it. The people of God had been walking with him for some time, and they, like the rest of us, had good days and bad days. That's putting it mildly. On their good days, they walked closely with the Lord. They worshipped him. They celebrated him. And he was pleased to have them as his people. On the bad days, well, like the old nursery rhyme goes, she was very, very bad. One of those times was in a period where there were kings that were over the southern kingdom. You may remember from your Bible history that, that after King David had come along and, 
and pulled all the kingdom together, well, they were just like the rest of us. Division entered in and they began to pursue their own wants and needs and desires and the kingdom split into a northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom had kings that some, well, a few, were good. The rest got into all kinds of trouble and really abandoned the way of the Lord. One of the, one of the few that did it right, so to speak, by many accounts, is, is the king Hezekiah. And I want to talk a little bit about that story today, so I invite you to turn with me if you have your Bible or you can access it on a device to 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Actually, we're going to look just briefly at the couple of chapters before that, but, but chapter 30 will be our primary text for today. Again, that's 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. You'll find 1 and 2 Samuel, then 1 and 2 Kings, then 1 and 2 Chronicles. At the very end, chapter 30 of 2 Chronicles what we're looking at. Hezekiah was the king. Now you need to know that the context in which he came into was difficult. Because the king before him, Ahaz, was one of the many who were not, who was not good. Not good to say the least. King Ahaz was horrific as a leader. He didn't just lead the people astray. He led them into idol worship. He cleared out the temple, did all sorts of things that were evil in the Lord's eyes. And so by the time his son Hezekiah came along, God's people were well down the road of trouble. Hezekiah comes in and tries to reform. He tries to make some changes. And that's our text today in chapter 30. Hezekiah sent word to all of Israel and Judah. Remember, the two different kingdoms. Israel being the northern kingdom. Judah representing the southern kingdom. And you need to know before I go any further that some additional things had happened. Israel had already gotten themselves in deep trouble. Deep trouble that had practical implications. Assyria, a kingdom to the north of them, had already risen. And the Syrians were terrible. They were vile, violent, evil people. And they were wreaking havoc on all their neighbors. And Israel had already fallen prey to that. Assyria had attacked them. A lot of people there had, had suffered greatly, been killed, taken into slavery, etc. But there were still some who were faithful. Hezekiah is trying to reach out to them, as well as to his own people in Jerusalem and Judah. So he sent word to all Israel and Judah, and he wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, which again represents the north, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. Hezekiah realized they needed to get back to true worship, true worship of God. And what better way to do that than to have a celebration of Passover, the very event by which God brought the people of God together in the first place. He wanted to invite everybody who was faithful, both kingdoms, to come and be a part of this. Let's all gather in. Let's go back to the Lord. Let's celebrate this in remembrance of what He did for us, the unbelievable, miraculous work that He did for their benefit. And to celebrate this together in the temple, the very place that Hezekiah's own father King Ahaz had desecrated. 
So he's called them back to this. But as you can continue reading, down in verse 6, that the king's command couriers went out throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king. And he, he gives them these instructions because he doesn't want them to just come unprepared. He says, people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Or as you may know it as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your parents and your fellow Israelites who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so that he made them an object of horror, as you see. Keep in mind, our God is a God of grace and mercy, but our God is also one. When we go astray, he allows us to suffer the consequences. That's the way His kingdom works. It's for our own good, even though sometimes it's horrendous. And when the people of God had gone way off the track and were deeply involved in idolatry and, and worship of foreign gods, God allowed them to suffer the consequences. But He's saying to them, but this God is one who will return to us if we will return to Him. Hold on to that. Do not be stiff-necked, it continues in verse 8, as your ancestors were. Submit to the Lord. Come to His sanctuary, which He has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God so that His fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord... Then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. In other words, our God is big enough to control even those who do not follow Him. Our God can influence even those evil captors who have taken God's people. If we will return to Him, nothing is beyond His compassion. Nothing is beyond His grace. But He's waiting for His people to return. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. I hope those words ring familiar to you. Your, your God, our God, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Do you know those words? Do those words ring a bell? Let me just invite you to turn over to to Joel chapter 2. That's a, just before you get to the, the New Testament, you run into the minor prophets. There are 12 of them. There are a lot of little bitty ones, you know, and, and you find Hosea and then the prophet Joel. In particular, in chapter 2, Joel the prophet said these words. Joel 2, verse 12, addressing the same sort of difficulty, the same sort of disobedience, the same sort of disloyalty to God. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. For Joel was aware of the way we tend to express our sorrow and grief for disobeying the Lord. 
we do go we go through all kinds of rituals they offered sacrifices as God had, had instructed them but they also would rend their tear their garments real outpouring external outpouring of their grief and sorrow and what the prophet Joel is saying is stop with all these external practices what God wants is your heart to be broken for him he wants true repentance that's what he's talking about here. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. And here it is. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Again, I hope you're familiar with those words. If not, let me encourage you to become familiar with them. You find them here in Joel in that full phrase. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. You'll find that exact wording or very similar to it in Psalm 103, 8, Psalm 145, 8, Nehemiah 9, 17, Numbers 14, 18, Exodus 34, 6, Psalm 86, 5, and so on. Over and over and over the Lord tells us through His Word that He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. But He's waiting on His people to come home. He's waiting on His people to return to His way and not their own. He's waiting, he is waiting on us to tear up our own desires and to follow His way. Going back to Chronicles, this is what Hezekiah is encouraging the people to do. Come back and let's celebrate this event that God did that has given us our identity, that rescued us from the captors in Egypt, made us a people, and return to Him wholeheartedly. Give up the idols, give up the idolatry, and come home. Now it's an old story, and when we hear language like that, idolatry and and so on, we tend to think of, those of us who are familiar with the Bible, old history. But I want to ask you this morning, is it in fact just old history? In fact, I don't want to just ask you, I want to challenge you to consider the reality today that there is just as much idolatry and disloyalty to God as there's ever been. And sadly, far too much of it happens within God's own people. Jesus was about this same work. He was calling the very people He came to, the religious leaders especially, to turn back from their ways, which were not God's ways. To rend your heart, as the prophet Joel said. To be poor in spirit, as Jesus said. To return to the Lord and stop Pursuing your own ways. Because the reality is any way other than God's way is wrong and evil. And in fact, can lead into idolatry. Now who's the idol in that? We are. Pursuing my own way is not just a choice. Deciding to go pursue my interests, 
that are different from the Lord's. Making a decision to live my life according to the culture that I'm in. According to the values and standards that are given to me by any other source than God. While seemingly harmless, can lead you down the path of idolatry where you become, self becomes God. And not Himself. Anything other than the worship and obedience of God leads us into idolatry. That's a shocking realization when you read about what God did in the Old Testament with His people when they got involved in idolatry. But it shouldn't be shocking when we think about the whole reason we're celebrating the season we're entering into. For we celebrate Christmas as gift-giving time and we acknowledge all the platitudes you hear and I've heard the reason for the season, you know, and the greatest gift ever given. But God gave His Son to us. God came and entered into our flesh and blood and became like us. Not just so that He could identify with our struggle. He had to do that to bring about His goal. But the goal wasn't just to identify. The goal was to redeem. The goal was to make possible an everlasting change so that we could get back to being with God like we want to be, like we used to be, but like we cannot get there on our own. That's why we celebrate this season, and I know you know that, but I come to you this morning through this route because we've seen it over and over and over. If you read through the Old Testament and the New, you know as well as I do that we, the people of God, have an amazing tendency to get off track. We have an amazing tendency to get caught up in what we want or what we value and to wind up in places we never intended, but the road just led us there. And we need somebody, you and I, need somebody to sound that warning. Because while we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas, an amazing gift, He came for Easter. He came for Good Friday. He came to redeem us by giving up His own life. But He didn't just come to die and be raised from the dead. He's coming back. And this time of year, when we are preparing for Christmas, when we are celebrating Jesus' first coming in His birth, we're also remembering as Christians, or we should be, that He's coming again. And just as we celebrate His first coming, we need to be prepared for His second coming. Somebody needs to be Screaming to us. Somebody's coming! With an intention not for us just to say, Okay, great, thanks, appreciate it. Because the guy getting out of that car that day had intentions other than just talking. The guy coming back, this time the scripture says he won't be coming as Savior. He's already come that way.
This time he's coming back as Lord. Over all. Friends, there's hope in this. And if you just heard me sound the warning, it's ominous. But there's hope in it. Because the one who came as a Savior is still calling to us to rend our hearts, to come before the Lord and turn back. Stop pursuing our own way and the ways around us and pursue His way. Lay down our choices, our values, our self-centeredness and pick up His way. I could spend time talking about what that looks like. But as I look around the room, I'm seeing some pretty bright people. And I'm guessing that you can figure out on your own which ways you have followed that are not of His. Every time I pursue a way that is my own and not the Lord's, if my heart is broken, friend, if my sensitivity is where it ought to be, then the Lord can speak to me and does. His Spirit nudges me and I feel a little mm, that some say is a conscience. It's in fact the Spirit who's nudging me. He's very quietly, like we sang in the song, and a very still, small voice saying, Somebody's coming! Change. Receive this gift and the hope and the opportunity and change your ways. Because just like in Hezekiah's day, when the people returned, God forgives and He gives another opportunity. But friends, someday He's coming as Lord. And when He comes as Lord, Lord over all, the time for changing will be done. Let's don't find ourselves there. Let's find ourselves ready and willing that the one who is already our Lord because we've already changed, we've already bowed down before Him, we've already asked Him to work in our lives and change us, has become our Lord. So that when He comes, we will be celebrating because all the junk that we deal with will be gone and His kingdom will reign forever. This is the hope we have in Christmas. This is the hope we have in Easter. This is the hope we have when we listen with our lives. When somebody says, Somebody's coming. And instead of staying there and waiting, we turn and change.
on one of the most critical nights in history. One of the most significant nights ever. Jesus sat with his friends and said what he wants to say to us today. I'm going to lay down my life for you so that all of what you've struggled with, all of what you have done that you shouldn't have done, all of what you thought that you shouldn't have thought, everything you said that you shouldn't have said, and the stuff that you've tried over and over and over again to change on your own, that eventually you went back to your own way, I can heal. But you gotta let me. You gotta make me Lord. And you've got to do what I tell you to do. I'm gonna make a way. I'm gonna lay down my life. My blood's going to be spilled for you. My body's going to be broken for you. And in that death, you will have the opportunity to gain life that you've not known. That's what Holy Communion is all about. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, remember what I did for you. Because he knows us and he knows how easy it is for us to get back on that track away from him. It's not the only thing he's given us, thank God. But it's one of the ways he's given us his people to regularly remember what he did and to call ourselves back to one God. Loyalty and faithfulness and obedience to one God. It's all wrapped up together in the gift we celebrate at Christmas. Friends, Jesus offers this to anybody and everybody that will come honestly, openly, sincerely, rending our hearts. Repenting of our selfishness and self-centeredness. Acknowledging that we are not God. He is. Our way is simply not the best way. This is the offer. And when we take this little wafer and drink this juice, what can be such an ordinary event represents for us the most amazing, most amazing gift ever. But only if we take it with true repentance and a desire for Him to be our Lord. You don't have to be all cleaned up. Even back in Hezekiah's day, he didn't tell all the people, come, let's celebrate Passover, clean yourselves totally. And then come. He just said, come. But you got to come acknowledging who is Lord and it's not me.
I tell you that he invites anybody and everybody because some of you today may be thinking, I'm not worthy of this. Some of you may be thinking, oh man, whatever it is that's just happened, I knew I shouldn't have done that. How can I get past that? I have struggled with this and struggled with this and struggled with this. I can't get past it. Why do I feel so guilty when the preacher serves communion? Some of you may be thinking, I don't understand all of this. I don't, I don't get it. This is a strange sort of thing. What do I do with this? Let me give you the good news. Jesus didn't say we have to understand everything about him. Jesus didn't say we have to have all of it worked out. What he said was, come. Acknowledging that I am the Messiah. I am the true Savior. That God has sent me to save you. And if you'll come with that understanding and the desire in your heart to follow, I will redeem you and send my spirit to begin changing you. That's the invitation. Anybody can do that. No one is barred. So I ask you this morning, are you ready to come? Are you ready to say, I'm not capable. I'm a lousy God. I can't even get my own act together. Are you willing to come and say, Lord, I've tried over and over and again. You know how much I want to. And I can't seem to get past it. Are you willing to say, Lord, things have happened to me in my life that I know you know about. And they're awful. And they're a stumbling block for me because if you're really good, I don't know why you allow them to happen. <clears throat> but my life is not what I want it to be. And I so desperately need help. If I come, Lord, will you help me to heal from the brokenness that I can't get past? This is the invitation. This is the God who invites us to come. And he invites every one of us. You who truly and earnestly repent of your sins, who live in love and peace with your neighbors, who intend to lead a new life, you hear the desire there? You hear the recommitment? following the commandments of God and walking in His holy ways. This is what He wants us to desire. This is what He wants to become the, the deep desire in our being. If so, draw near with faith. Trust that God will do what He's promised to do. And take this holy sacrament for your comfort. 
If you want to do that this morning, will you join me by praying? Pray in your heart as I pray these words of confession. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, maker of all things, judge of all people, who with great mercy and grace and compassion has promised forgiveness and deliverance to all who turn to you with a hearty repentance and true faith. We confess that we've sinned against you and we are hopeless without your grace. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, Father, and forgive us. Pardon and deliver us from our sins. The sins that, are, that come from the blindness of our heart, that come from the lack of love, that come from the deceits of the world. The flesh inside, those desires we have that we know are wrong, that we can't seem to get rid of. Have mercy upon us and forgive us. Deliver us from these things. Deliver us from, from the neglect of your word. From wrong beliefs. Lord, forgive us for the anxiety that comes when we just don't trust you. Help us to get past it, Lord. Help us to learn to trust you. Help us to, to step out and risk Risk what we can't solve on our own with belief that you will do what you say you will do and have done in so many others. God, our Savior, forgive us and bring us into the newness of life that we may honor you and praise your name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, you've watched over us for years. Your people you've watched over for centuries. And you have graciously helped so many. Now, Lord, will you help us? Come, Lord Jesus, in your grace and mercy. In your name we pray.